each of you this morning. It is good for us to be together. I miss those that are not here, uh, but it's good for you to be here. And welcome, Cindy. It's good to have you visiting. And um, others of you have been here on a more regular occasion. This morning, I'm kind of bringing to a close a, a series of four messages this month that I have wanted to share with you and I have wanted to look at for myself to how we can make 2023 a spiritually prosperous year. And those of you that have been here uh, might remember the first Sunday, I, we looked at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, and I said it's very clear to me that there are two primary decisions that each of us need to make if 2023, if this year, is going to be one in which we prosper spiritually. The first of those decisions, if you recall, was we need to decide to be receptive to the Scripture, to embrace the Scripture, to allow it to speak to us and to heed it. We have to make that decision. And that's more than just coming to church and hearing. It's embracing it, being receptive to what God would say to us. The second decision was, we need to decide who is going to be in control of our lives this year. Are we going to be in control? Or are we going to allow God to be in control? And for some of us, that's very comforting because we, we find refuge in God's control. But for others of us, that's frightening because we really ultimately want to decide what we do. But that's a decision we have to make. If this year we are going to prosper spiritually. Well, the second Sunday, as I was thinking about this year, we talked about the importance of prayer. Praying when it's hard. You remember those of you that were here? We talked about sorrow and how that can be an obstacle to prayer and how we need to go to God and allow him to minister to us in times of sorrow. We talked about difficult circumstances. Sometimes we get ourselves, because of decisions we make, we face difficult circumstances. But sometimes they're difficult circumstances because of decisions that others make. And in the third area, that prayer sometimes is hard, is when we are waiting and waiting and waiting for justice to be met. For God to mete out justice in our situation. Like the oppressed widow who went before, Jesus told the story of, and kept asking the king for justice. Well, last Sunday, I talked about what do we do when we don't know what to do. Have you been there? Maybe some of you are there this morning. What do you do when you're in a situation you don't know what to do? Maybe you got yourself in that situation. Maybe it's because of other people. Maybe it's just the circumstance of life. What do we do when we don't know what to do? If you remember from last Sunday, there are three primary things we need to do in those times. The first is to ask God to speak. We tend to share that around with everyone else and we look to all that our society has to say and we're distracted by our phones and, and advice columns and, and ask God to speak in our situation. The second step then is listen and receive what he has to say. 
And that may be from his word. It may be from other believers. It may be in unique and special ways that he speaks to us in those times when we desperately cry to him for direction. We need to ask, we need to listen, and the third is we need to trust him. And trust involves obeying. Even when we've not been here before, we're not sure it makes sense, but we have asked God to speak, we have heard him speak, and now we need to trust him and step out in faith. Well, this morning, I want to look at one other area that is common to all of us. And it really, I didn't know whether to start with this or end with this. How do we overcome temptation? How do we overcome temptation? You see, how you and I handle temptation this year will determine our spiritual health. Open your Bible this morning to the book of James. The book of James, and I want in James 1, we find one of the clearest explanations of how temptation and sin are related and the progression and what our responsibility is. And understanding temptation is where we have to start with if we are going to overcome temptation. James 1, 12 through 15. We find here a wonderful beatitude in verse 12 that James gives. James, this younger brother of Jesus. Notice as I read, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth or overcometh temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust or desire and enticed. Then when lust or desire hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin... And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Blessed, happy, spiritually fulfilled is the believer, can be you and me this year if we overcome temptation. You see, happiness in this life and the final reward of that crown of righteousness that James speaks of here. That's of the Lord for those who overcome temptation. And so my desire this morning is for us to learn about temptation from this passage so we can successfully overcome temptation. And our four primary principles that I want to highlight, and perhaps you might see others in these verses, that I think are crucial. You know, we, we all know, we're well familiar with sin. And we know we, we don't like sin. We don't like especially the consequence of sin. And, and we don't, certainly don't like to be caught in sin. And, and, and we don't like when others sin against us. We, we know a bit about sin. 
But how do we overcome it? I think so many times we're, we're behind the eight ball, as it were. We're, we're dealing with the consequences rather than at the beginning, at the head, where we could overcome. And that is where the key to overcoming sin is. It's at the head. Um, some of you perhaps have heard the comedy, the story of the little boy that was in church and the minister was up front and he said very rhetorically, what shall we do with sin? And of course the congregation, just like you all, when I asked that question, no one said anything and the little fellow had ADD and he sat in the back and the minister said it again. And he said the third time with a lot more emphasis, what shall we do with sin? And the little boy stood up in the back and said, nip it in the bud. Well, how do we nip sin in the bud? I think the key is in these four principles. And the first of those is we have to admit the source of temptation. Where does temptation come from? We must have clarity in our understanding of this question if we are to overcome temptation. Well, first of all, James says very clearly that God is not the source of temptation. Notice in verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, James states it so plainly. And yet, there are countless believers today who are inclined to see God as the source of their temptation. I hear believers say, well, God made me this way. I was born this way. And that explanation for an inclination toward sin can range anywhere from uncontrollable anger to homosexuality. God made me this way. Hear the word of truth this morning. God is not the source of temptation. And as early as Adam, mankind has pointed our finger at our creator. Or his action, or his inaction, and blamed him. Remember when God came to Adam and said, Adam, have you eaten of the tree that I said not to eat? Remember what Adam said? Uh, the woman that you gave to me. In other words, um, you know, there's, there's faulty workmanship here. God, you messed up when you, I mean, you didn't make her right. The woman that you gave to me. See what Adam did? Adam didn't man up and said, I sinned. I was wrong. I disobeyed. I accept responsibility. No. Do we find ourselves there many times? We point at God. And James very clearly says God is incapable of enticing you to sin. He is incapable of sin and incapable of leading anyone else to commit sin. You and I will never be able to point our finger at God and say, you made me do it. So we have to look further than God to find the source of temptation. Well, the next logical we could say is, well, then the devil is the source of temptation. No, the devil is not the source of temptation either. 
Now, I know some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dave, isn't Satan called the tempter? Didn't he tempt Jesus? Yes, he is the tempter. And Satan can present the opportunity to sin. But it is not the devil who is ultimately responsible for our temptation. And I think as we go further, you'll understand that. So then who is? If God is not responsible, and the devil is not responsible, who is? You and I are the source of temptation. Listen to verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust or desire and enticed. You see, nothing could be plainer than the truth that James is saying this morning. And what I'm asking all of us to do is be receptive to that. Embrace that. You see, temptation becomes reality only because there is in me and in you corrupted desires that can lead us into sin. And we have to accept our part in temptation. You know, it's a healthy thing when I come to the place that I am ready to openly acknowledge that I am a sinner with corrupted desires. That's a healthy place. That I am capable of creating my own temptations and following them into sin. You see, when I sin, it's not because the devil made me do it. Some of us older ones remember back in the 70s, there was a bumper sticker that was prominent. It said, the devil made me do it. You younger ones don't remember that. But that is not true. It is because of choices that I make to fulfill desires within me that I sin. And you and I must be ready to own the source of our own temptations if we are able to consistently overcome them. As long as we are playing the blame game, we will not successfully overcome them. You see, since the source of our temptation is within us, we find so much similarity to others' temptations. Temptation is the great equalizer. It comes to the youth. It comes to the middle-aged. It comes to the aged ones. Temptation is a sleepless, tireless enemy of our souls. But listen this morning. There is always a gap. Sometimes it's small, but there's always a gap between stimulus and reaction. Response. And you and I choose what that response is. So, perhaps this morning I can offer some questions that will help us embrace this all-important truth. Let me ask you this morning. Who deserves the credit or the blame for where you currently find yourself spiritually this morning in your life? Who has had the greatest influence on where you are today spiritually? Whose advice do you usually act upon? Now, if we're honest, while others have helped us or hurt us along the way, we each influence our lives spiritually more than anyone else. 
We are therefore mostly responsible this morning for where we find ourselves spiritually. And while we may listen to the advice and opinions of others, we generally spiritually make the decisions that we think are best in the end. No one makes those decisions for us. Now this is not an easy admission to make because we all prefer to see ourselves as victims of circumstances, victims of our background, victims of the actions or choices of other people. And that belief is a great deterrent to us living victoriously in 2023. We must understand and embrace God's solution. God wants us to live as victors and not as victims so that you and I can fulfill the purpose that he has for us this year in our generation. You see, there's no way that I can change the world about me this year unless I find out how to change myself. So the first step is owning our desires and taking responsibility for the spiritual choices that we make. We're all experts at blame shifting. That's nothing new. It's all the way back to Adam. So that's the first principle that I see, admitting the source of temptation. The second one, James, this passage is, is so clear in showing us the progression of temptation. Understanding the progression of temptation. In verse 14, James gives us the course that temptation follows. He says, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust or desire and enticed. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because it's the same for all of us. It's the same for whoever's sitting beside you in the pew. Temptation begins with our being drawn away by our desires. Now, desires many times are not wrong in and of themselves. Often they merely reflect the natural result of the way God has created us. To desire to experience joy, happiness, pleasure, abundance, wealth, security, authority or dominion. Oneness in relationship with a member of the opposite gender, to have offspring, etc. All those are specific blessings that in Scripture we see God chose to bless various people with at various times. So those desires are, are, are good and healthy in and of themselves. And to appreciate or to assess such desires is not wrong, nor does it nor does assessing them as a thing to be desired constitute a temptation. But to be drawn away, as James says, to be drawn away is where it begins. To be drawn away from what? Could you be drawn away from what God has ordained as holy for that desire? To be drawn away from what God has prescribed, commanded, or forbidden in his word. You see, this questioning of God's desire for us, his plan, his love for us, his provision of joy and obedient surrender to his will, 
That's where we get drawn away from. That's the drawing away James speaks of. You see, thus temptation begins with our questioning God. Do you remember what happened with Eve in her mind? Satan suggested and she began to question this God who had provided a wonderful garden for them. The best of everything, all that they could dream of. But why, do you, why, won't, why can't we eat this one fruit? Maybe God is not the loving God that I thought he was. Why can't I have that? It wasn't that Eve was hungry, right? So she questioned God. There was nothing wrong with Eve looking at the tree and having appreciation for the beauty of the tree of life. The beauty of that fruit. There was nothing wrong with that. To assess that desire. Wow, look how nice that is. The problem came when she chose to access it against the commandment of God. That's what it means for us to be drawn away of our desires. Now Satan played a role. He suggested those questions. He questioned what God had said to Eve. And he does as well to us. We're so quick to say, but my situation is different. But he, she, or they did this to me. You don't understand my background. Somehow this doesn't apply to me. Somehow in this situation. You know, I deserve to be happy. Right? Well, temptation continues then with enticement. And he says, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So we begin to question this desire, okay? And, and then we're enticed. Enticement is a hunting term, Sheldon. It, it, it's like you bait the deer, okay? Or a fishing Term. You, you have a lure, right? And, and you attract the attention of, of the prey or what you're trying to catch and, and, and you try to get them to, to believe that this is a good thing. And that's what happens. When natural good desires were drawn away, question what God wants, and then we're enticed. This would make me happy. No one will know. No one will be hurt. And we can go on and on with that. And when we choose like a prey to pursue the bait, the enticement, what results? Then when lust or sin hath conceived... It bringeth forth sin. I think we all understand this. There is not sin in being tempted. Correct? The scripture says that Jesus our Savior was tempted in all points as we and yet was without sin. But do you see how we have to nip it in the bud? 
We have to recognize when we are questioning, when we feel desires within us, and we check them with God, if we do not check it there, how easy it is then for us to be drawn away and then to be baited. We still haven't sinned. When Eve looked at that fruit and said, wow, that is really nice. I think it would be good to eat. She hadn't sinned. When did Eve sin? When she took the fruit and ate. Scripture is clear about that. And she gave to her husband who was with her, and he did eat. And thus they committed sin. Action. I find it interesting in this verse, verse 15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. James used the, the analogy of, of, of normal life of an individual. Notice that he says here that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. You see, action is more. When we choose to fulfill a desire, a sinful desire, sin occurs and death results physically and more importantly spiritually. You see, sin always costs. There always are irreplaceable losses that happen. And God is merciful. And he is the great redeemer and the restorer. But while guilt can be removed and sin can be forgiven, often consequences remain. I'll use the example again of Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they saw one another's nakedness. And they sought to cover themselves. Something was lost, irreplaceable from that moment on in their relationship. They never again experienced that freedom. Yes, they were husband and wife. I get it. But they always were aware after that of their nakedness. They were banished from the garden. Sometimes, even though there's forgiveness, there are consequences of sin. And you see, unless checked, as this verse says, when it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, unless sin is checked, one sinful act leads to another, leads to a lifestyle. And it results ultimately in eternal death. Or separation from God. Well, I repeat again this morning, there is no sin in natural God-given desires. Sin results when we choose to allow our sinful nature to draw our desires away from what God intended to what we want. We choose to access our sinful desires. Then and only then can we be enticed by Satan. Then and only then can we be baited. When we say no, that's not for me. I, I can't go there. 
I'll give you an example. David and Bathsheba. David saw the beauty of Bathsheba. Was that sinful for him to assess that she was a beautiful woman? No. No. But when David, and David knew, she was the wife of another man. But when David entertained the idea of having her for himself, he was drawn away. He was drawn away. And then he was enticed. I'm the king. I can do this. I'll just send for her. He was baited. And he took the bait. And thus he committed sin. And that sin progressed. We know the story. How it led over the next weeks and months to a lifestyle of sin. You see, if we choose to act upon an illicit desire, sin is conceived, committed, and given a life of its own. And unless it is stopped, unless it is repented of and forgiven, it will mature to result in death. You see, if we are to overcome temptation, that will surely face us repeatedly this year. We have to understand our desires and what God intended for us when he created us. The only time we can stop temptation is at the first point of recognizing that this desire, this that I want to have or do or say or be, is not pleasing to God. And therefore I do not entertain it. If we enter the enticement phase of temptation and begin to argue and engage hand-to-hand -hand -hand combat with our enemy, temptation almost always wins. I know that from personal experience, and you do as well. As James describes it, when we act on the opportunity afforded by choosing to follow the enticement, sin is enticed or is conceived and it'll take on a life of its own. James would have us understand that just as a pregnancy does not just happen without any action of mankind, so sin does not just happen without our choice, be it deliberate or careless. Sometimes we hear the expression, and I want to challenge that this morning, someone fell into sin. We don't fall into sin. We sin because of choices. We may have been enticed. We may have not fully understood. But we deliberately chose to pursue a desire that was contrary to what God wanted. We don't fall into sin. It's not an accidental thing is what I'm trying to to point out. So, do we need to understand this word sin? Do we understand how out of place in God's plan for human life sin really is? Do we understand that when we choose to sin, we choose to act against 
our own best interest? Sin is an act against the will of God. Sin is a choice of something other than, less than God's best for you and me. Sin is a violation of His will and it's an affront to His holiness. So, I say again this morning, first we have to admit the source of temptation. We can't blame God. This is the way I was made. We can't blame the devil. We have to accept responsibility. We have to understand, secondly, the progression of temptation. How it progresses. And visualize the outcome of temptation. Visualize that that if I pursue this illicit desire, ultimately, Scripture says, death will result. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. See, James used the image of birth two times in that verse. The birth of sin and the birth of death. Death in you. Sin involves something in us dying. Every time we sin, something beautiful in our life is replaced with something ugly in our life. And continuing to sin diminishes our potential to experience all that God desires for us. Indeed, the wages of sin, as Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. So it results in death, in, it results in death to others. Sin affects others. Adam and Eve, how it affected their relationship. And then they have a son who then murders his younger brother. And death is continued as a result of sin. Death, death, death. It all began with the drawing away of Eve's desire. Not her seeing the tree of life as beautiful. Not appreciating that. There was nothing wrong with that. But she chose to access what God had said no to. That's when she was drawn away. And she was enticed. She believed lies. And she took and ate, and thus she sinned. Well, death in us, death in others, and also ultimately death to God. Sin separates us from God, and ultimately it can for eternity. Well, the last principle is you and I, this year, more than any other time in our spiritual pilgrimage, we must choose to put the pleasure of God above the satisfaction of our selfish desires. Responding to temptation always involves a choice. And it needs to involve a choice to put God in proper place. I remember when my children were little, small, occasionally I would hear, usually a younger one say to an older one, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. 
and that in many situations was true. We need to accept that posture with Satan. We have named the name of Christ. We have chosen to follow him. And when Satan comes to us with enticement, we need to say, you are not the boss of me. I am not a victim of yours. I'm called to be a victor in Christ. You see, responding to temptation always involves a choice. And it needs to involve the choice to put God in his proper place. And that's going to require a denial of sensual desires. And an acceptance of spiritual desires. Do we desire this year to love and please God? If we will act on that and cultivate that, that will give us strength to overcome temptation. When will we get past the temptation stage in this life? This year. December 31, 2023. Will that be the end of it? No. We will not reach the end of the phase of temptation in our lives in this lifetime. But we don't need to succumb to temptation. You see, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God has promised to not allow us to be tempted above that we are able, but will with every temptation also make a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. Eve had a God-given desire for tasty fruit. But she questioned God's command about this fruit. And she was enticed by the idea that, that maybe it would make me wise like God. Maybe God is holding something out on me. Maybe this will make me happier, more fulfilled. And she took the fruit and ate and thus sinned. King David the same. We as men and we as women, we can recognize the beauty of a woman, a man who is handsome. You can appreciate that. But we must recognize that person is not for me. Can I acknowledge that? And when I entertain, even in my mind, possessing him or her, Jesus says, I've already committed adultery. What about coveting? I see what my neighbor has. Old Testament, I love, he says, his, his, his wife, nor his servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his anything that is your neighbor's. So your neighbor has something really nice. You can appreciate that. That means you don't see that? That they're successful? That they have wealth? That they have health? 
that they have whatever. But when we choose to say, but I want that, I want that for me. That's not mine. That's theirs. That's the definition of coveting. That's one of the Ten Commandments, by the way. To covet in our heart that which is not ours. So David saw the beauty of Bathsheba. God did well when he made Bathsheba. But David decided, I want Bathsheba. And he knew God did not want him to have Bathsheba. Bathsheba was another man's wife. And that's how he was drawn away and enticed and sinned. So, I so want this year. I want a year from now for each of us to be able to look back and say, boy, 2023 had some real challenges and there were some real difficulties and there were some heartaches, but spiritually how I have grown this year. How I have grown. And the main thing that will deter us in spiritual growth this year is not faithfully overcoming temptation. Acknowledge desires that we have. Bring them in alignment with what God says about those desires. And then choose deliberately. I'm going to choose to please him rather than choose to satisfy my desires. That's where the battle is. When we entertain in our mind satisfying my desires, that gets a life of its own. And even while others may not know what's going on, it works on us and works on us and works on us and we become enticed and baited and baited and baited and we look and no one seems to know what's going on and no one's noticing and maybe no one's going to get hurt and no one needs to know and, 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 and. And then we sin. That's not the place. That's not the best time to not sin. The best time to overcome temptation is to recognize, wow, I desire this. And then ask ourselves, what does God say about this? That's where we win. That's where we can make that best choice to overcome. And that's what I'm encouraging all of us to do this year. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful this morning that you have revealed your will to us in your word. We are not left to wonder about our desires if they're pleasing to you. We can take our desires and check them with your word and with your spirit speaking within us. And you have not hidden truth from us. Father, help us this morning to, in a renewed sense, commit ourselves to pleasing you. To bringing our desires in line with your word. That we might honor you 
that we might overcome temptation, that sin might not take dominion of us, that we might know the joy and blessing of being in fellowship with you. This we ask in the name of Christ.